Amen. Thank you, worship team. I love it when uh, I walk up in between and, and say, can we change this? You know, can we, can we do something just a little different? And they're like, absolutely. And what that really means is they have a heart for God. Amen. Not just for structure. You know, this morning, I am so excited to be here one more time. Pastor gave me the opportunity to, to talk about stewardship and you know, for a senior pastor to do that and to give someone else the opportunity to talk about stewardship in his absence, that's taking a risk. It is. You know, it's kind of scary because, you know, it's a sensitive subject. And I hope that as we go through the third of our series today, Engage in Stewardship, we want to talk about engaging in stewardship of your heart. Because really the heart is everything that we've talked about over these three weeks up to this point. Everything that we talk about is this Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. That has got to be at the center of the very life that we live, the very air that we breathe. We need to understand that we do everything. We represent him in every single thing that we do, every breath that we take. And as we talk about this idea of stewarding our heart, then we need to follow his command that says, this is my command, not my suggestion, not a good idea. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, I'm the example, folks. I'm laying it out before you now. I'm, I'm taking away any doubt and I'm saying, this is my heart. Love one another as I have loved you. This idea of Colossians 3 sentence, this is our guiding principle in daily life and in decision making. As we talk about the stewardship of the heart, we need to understand that out of the heart comes what? Our motivations. Out of the heart comes our thoughts and our beliefs. And when you start to think about motivation and heart and thoughts and beliefs, then you understand all of those things are what lead to our behaviors. Amen. We can say all we want, but when we look at how we behave, when we look at the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think, that tells us the condition of our heart. Amen? Amen. We want to start today by looking at Jesus' heart and his teaching. Matthew chapter 22 says this, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus in response says, You shall love the Lord your God. You shall make a decision leading to action. That's what that word love means. You shall make a decision leading to action to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your emotions. With all of your soul, your decision-making capacity, with all of your mind, your intellect, and your understanding. He says, this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love. Make a decision leading to action. Your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Upon these two things hang all the law and the prophets. He says, if you take everything of the message and you boil it down, then you would understand this is it. Love God with everything you have 
and love the people around you. That encompasses my message to you. That is why I came and gave my life to restore that kind of relationship and to give you the capacity to begin to live in the way that I intend for you to live. John 15 says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down their life for their friends. See, if we're going to steward our heart, then our decisions, our values, our priorities, and our beliefs, they have to come into alignment with these two scriptures. They have to to line up and reflect this is our heart issue. If we're going to steward our heart, if we're going to invest our heart, if we're going to invest what's inside of us, then we have to steward or invest and take control of our treasures. Amen? Amen. Our treasure, our earthly treasure, it must become a tool that supports our priorities and our beliefs. Luke 16 begins to talk about the heart priorities that we have to have. It says this, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and riches. You cannot have a divided heart between God and money. Only one, God or money, must take priority. Only one. The other has to be in subjection to the first one. No one can serve God and money equally. Either serve God and money becomes a tool. Serve God and our treasures become a tool provided God for your good and for the benefit of the kingdom. Or else, serve money. Serve money, serve riches, and God becomes secondary. God becomes a nice thought that steps in whenever he's needed or convenient. We, we turn to him in times of need, or we turn to him when we expect to get something from him. It's really about that idea of the heart. Which one are we serving? Stewardship of our treasure is first and foremost a matter of trust and a matter of the heart. It's always about the heart and heart issues. We must become a people led by the Spirit of God. And if we're being led by the Spirit of God, we have to be led by the Word of God. Amen? Because the Word of God is the main way in which God reveals his spirit directives. I'm falling apart here. We must be led by the spirit, by the word. Then we must be led by our heart and our mind. When we begin to bring that into alignment with God's principles and scriptures, then we can begin to walk with that and be led. We need to be led by our heart and our mind, not by our desires not by coveting, not by lusts of what can I get? What are the things that I want? Look at what scripture has to say in this relationship between our heart 
and our treasure. Matthew chapter 6 makes it very clear. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You know, I was thinking about that commercial with, you know, for Ring, where it goes off and the guy says, who are you? He says, I'm a car thief. I'm here to steal your car. Yeah, you did all this protection stuff, but I'm still going to take it. And that's what he's saying. We can lay up for ourselves treasures here on earth, but they are going to rust and be destroyed, and they're going to be stolen, and they're going to be taken away from us. But he says what? Lay up your treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, those things that are most important to you, where your treasure is, that is where your heart's going to be. When we talk about earthly treasures, we're talking about a number of things, our finances or our money. We're talking about our property. We can be talking about our health or our reputation. Those are all worldly things. We talk about our time and our talents. When we focus on earthly treasures, then God and others go way down on our priority list. When that's our focus is on what I can get, what I can have, what belongs to me, what do people think of me? When I focus on those things, God and others move way down. But when we talk about heavenly treasures, we're talking about love, loving God. Loving God, loving others. Isn't that what the scriptures say? Loving God, loving others. Relationships with Jesus and others. Eternal relationships with God the Father. Relationships that are going to last beyond my last breath. Relationships that go beyond. But he's also talking about relationships right now today, temporal relationships that we have, healthy relationships, because he's called us to be what? Part of the body of Christ, part of the church, that we are to have good and healthy relationships. Those are heavenly treasures. Wouldn't you agree that a good, healthy relationship is a treasure here on earth? It's a treasure in the kingdom of God. He goes on and talks about service and justice as being a heavenly treasure, serving and fighting for what is right. Because doing things that way, honor God, doing the will and the work of God, the work of evangelism, Easter's coming, and you know we're focusing on getting out of our comfort zone and caring enough about the people around us, however odd they might look to us today, and inviting them into our house because why? God loves them, and therefore we love them. Amen? That's a heavenly treasure. Would you agree that the soul of another human being is a heavenly treasure and worth our time and effort and our sacrifice? And we are to encourage one another and edify one another. See, these are heavenly treasures. When we focus on heavenly treasures, then those earthly treasures become a tool. They become a tool that help us to accomplish these other things. A tool for us to steward for the good of God's kingdom, for the good of the church, and for others. 
our heart, our desires, our motives, our behaviors, and our decision is tied to our treasure. There is a direct corollary. You cannot separate them. If you examine how you invest your time, if you examine how you invest your talents, if you will take an honest look how you use the earthly treasures that have been placed into your hands, if you look at those things right now and how you're using them, it will provide you a good picture of what your heart looks like and a good picture of what you're actually treasuring. Amen? We need to ask the question, what do I treasure? When we look at those things, what do I treasure? And then based on the answer of what I say I want to treasure, how do I steward my heart? How do I take this under control? Because that's what stewarding means, right? It means to use that which has been entrusted into my hands and to invest it into the kingdom, invest it into others. How do I steward my heart? And in doing this, I have to check my attitude about riches. You know, there's a lot of influential people in the word that were rich. Think about all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were all rich. Wealth in itself is not evil. If it was not for money, there would be no missionary work. If it was not for money, there would be no evangelism going out, no support to the church work for the homeless, no prison ministries, no nursing home ministries. If it was not for money and not for that resource, there would be no ministry to Naval Avenue. There would be no Guatemala trips that we're looking at. There would be no back-to-school fair in what we're looking to do to help our community. There would be no diaper drive. There would be no marriage refresh. There would be no support groups. There would be no counseling and life support in so many of these other places. Money is not evil. Wealth is not evil. But we need to look at our heart attitude. Let's look at some foundational thoughts and practices on stewardship. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says this, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. This passage points out four points. Four things that are significant. We need to give individually. Each and every one of us needs to give. We need to give regularly, consistently. We need to have a method to our giving. And we need to give proportionally. Paul is making no apologies about asking for support for the church and the work of God. He is addressing directly the heart. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Yes, I understand we're talking about an agricultural people here. But what's he saying? Bring the resource in that's necessary to do the work that I have given. 
Try me now on this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. If you read the book of Malachi, if you look at all of chapter 3 and you look at the entire book, he's addressing their hearts. The whole point of Malachi is looking at the heart of the Israelites because they had begun to grow cold. They had begun to pull back and pull away from God. They'd begun to start trusting themselves and in their riches. They become selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed. And God through Malachi, God through his servant, his prophet, was reaching out and he was saying, if you would make me, my principles and my work, your priority, the leading priority of life, stand back and watch what happens. Do you understand that what God is doing through Malachi and what he's saying right now to us is, I'm calling you back to the heart of worship. I'm calling you back to come into worship to me of trust and obedience and a heartfelt worship because this kingdom, we pray it all the time, your kingdom come. We walk in God's kingdom, not the kingdom of this world, amen? We live here, but we don't live or we don't, reside in the kingdom of the world. The matter of your giving is between you and God. God knows what we are facing and going through all the time. He knows. Nothing is lost on him. And it's vital that we see giving as a privilege and not a burden that we give out of love for the Lord and desire to see his kingdom advanced. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So how much do you want to see God do in our kingdom in our world, in the people around us? How much do you want to see his kingdom advance? How many individuals do we want to see saved and brought to saving grace and saving knowledge of the Lord? How much are we willing to invest in God, trusting him for the return? Do we want to make this kind of an impact? Do we want to invest a little bit? Absolutely, it's, it's much better, right? We can invest a little bit and, and God will do something great. You know, maybe, maybe we'll see a life change. Maybe we'll see a, a soul come to Christ. Maybe we'll see something happen. Maybe I want to be a little more invested in God's kingdom. You know, and I, I can scoop that out and I can begin to think about all the resources that God's given me in my time and my talents and the people that I know, and I can begin to pour that out. And I can begin to serve the Lord. And I can begin to say, God, you know, this community, these people, they're important to me, and and I want to see something good happen in their life. And, And then God's going, really? He says, are you willing? Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to invest a little more into my kingdom? Are you willing to to do the hard work of living life the way that I've asked you to live life, to, to live with a heart 
toward evangelism and edification, a heart of love and service to others, and trust me to continue to pour back into your life? Or will you be radical? Will you take reaching out into this world, in this lost nation, this dark place, will you invest with abandon? You know, if I could pull a tanker in here, I would. Because as we'll find out in a few minutes, you can't outgive God. God's asking us, what will you do? How will you live? See, this is what it says in verse 7. It says, so let each one give according to the purposes in his heart. Do you want to see God's kingdom explode? Do you want to see real change take place in our city, in our country, in our nation? Do you want to see life-changing work take place? Give as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Give from a heart of love. Give from a heart of freedom, from a heart of compassion, obedience, and trust. See, really the deeper question is, what has priority? What has priority in lives? Is it really Christ first? Or do we put ourselves and our own desires first? See, when we begin to live God's way, God gives us some incredible promises. Matthew 6, verses 31 through 34 says, don't worry. He says, you don't need to live in that place of worry. You don't need to live in that place of concern. He says, don't worry about what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all of the Gentiles seek these things. I know God's saying, I know that you need them for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. And then there's this little word, but he's going all that stuff. I know, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first godly ways, godly principles, the way I'm encouraging you to do things. Look into my word, understand what those precepts are. Seek first the kingdom and the work of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. When he says don't worry though, he doesn't say do not prepare. And this is a, to not prepare is an absolute wrong interpretation of that scripture. I can't just live crazy and expect God to bless me. That's not what that word is saying. First Timothy 5, 8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his own home, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith. He has denied God. He has denied the principles and is worse than an unbeliever. Why? Because remember what we said that you're always doing one thing or the other to God's reputation. You're either building it up as a believer or you're tearing it down. If you live like a crazy person and you don't take care of your family and you don't do those things, you're basically hurting God's reputation. 
you're telling the world that, yeah, that doesn't really have impact and influence in my life. So how do we prepare? If if Timothy's telling us that we need to prepare, how do we prepare? First, we work. We expect to work. If you look, everyone in the Bible worked. From the beginning of Genesis to the end. They all worked. They all worked at something and invested. And then we budget. This is a real budget. As a matter of fact, uh, mine's on my computer at home. I have a spreadsheet. I just had, this is not my budget, but it's one that I use to help others. If your budget isn't this concrete, where you can pick it up, touch it, look at it, actually see the numbers, then you don't have a budget. Did you know that if you budget, the average person actually finds 20 to 25% more income than they knew they had? See, when you look at a budget, it says that we understand what is our income, what's coming in, and then we, what are our expenses, what is our tithe and our giving, because we're investing in God's kingdom, amen? And what is our savings and our reserves, because we're preparing in, for our household, for those that God has given us to care for? And what are our fixed expenses, things like a mortgage or things like our utilities or some of the insurances that we need to have. And then what are our variable expenses, things like groceries and, and auto and upkeep and gas and things like that. See, when you begin to put it all down and you go, this is how much I have. These are the things that are significant and you plan it. You will find almost 20% more money than you think you have than if you just live life. This is a tool. This is how we prepare. And we live without debt. Amen? See, we have a limited amount of money. That budget tells us how much is coming in, right? Here's the deal. It tells you that I need, and I'm just going to say $100 because it's easy math. I need $100 to cover those expenses every month. To cover my tithe, my offerings, my house, my, you know, utilities, my, all those things. Paying for my insurance. I need $100 to pay for that every month. And then I go and I buy something on credit, credit card debt. And I go into debt and all of a sudden $20 is gone. Now I still have that same $100 that I need, right? My expenses didn't go down. Matter of fact, I just added something onto it. So I increased what I needed and took away what I had available. But I got more stuff. See, that's the bondage and the trap of debt. Because we look around us and we go, I need this. I want this. I have to have this. I have to to be okay in my own skin. I have to look. So I'm going to buy one more thing. And I increase my need And I reduced my effective income by another. And this is how we get into bondage. It's not because God hasn't provided what we needed. It's because instead of using that budget and saying, I need to set aside a certain amount. 
And I need to put that in reserve and build that up so that when something blows up or it's time to replace a car or it's time to do that, that I can pay for that. I can cover that expense and then it's paid for and I keep rolling forward with what God's provided. Then I go backwards and I, I move into this huge place of bondage. And so if we're going to prepare, we work, we budget, we live without debt and we live within our means. We invest in others and in the will of God. If your priority in heart is for God, then here are some simple principles to consider. Exodus 20:17 says you shall not covet. Because coveting leads to anxiety. Coveting leads to disappointment. Coveting leads to discouragement, to distress, to jealousy. When we begin to look at others and demand that I have everything they have, do you know, isn't it true that money can't buy happiness? I mean, this past week, we saw a number of people investing of all of their treasure into getting their kids into school in an inappropriate way, and it's blowing up in their face. I can buy happiness. I can buy this prestige. I can buy you know, their way in, and it's blowing up and costing them dearly. Do not covet. Luke chapter 3 says, be content, 314, content with your wages. That doesn't mean that you can't aspire to an advancement or you can't aspire to another job. It doesn't say that you can't continue your education so that you continue to grow over a lifetime. But he's saying whatever your wages are right now, be content with those wages. Live within that and allow yourself to grow in maturity as you learn how to use those appropriately. Amen. Hebrews 13, 8, and 9, we hear this in some other things. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines. But a lot of times we don't think what the next thing says. For it is good that the heart... be established by grace and not by food. See... Our heart is established by spiritual things, grace and compassion and God's love, God's principles. That's what establishes the heart, not foods which represent, you know, the temporary worldly things. Jesus is the same. The principles are the same today as they were when he first inspired them and when he first reinforced them. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will carry nothing out. You know, I, I love what Pastor Steve has said repeatedly. He's never seen a hearse with a U-Haul. It's a great word picture. It just doesn't happen. He says this, having food and clothing, with these things be content. But those whose hearts desire to be rich, those whose hearts desire after worldly things, after money, after prestige, after 
the riches of the world that we talked about, they fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and harmful lusts which drowned men. I think God tried to give us a word picture that we could relate to. When you set your heart after riches, and that becomes the pursuit of your life, you are always going to feel like you're in a place of drowning because you will never have enough. You will never be satisfied. You will never be at peace because none of those things come from that heart set. That's why he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He doesn't say money is the root of evil. He says the heart's desiring after and pursuing money is the root of all kinds of other evil. In contrast to that is the heart of the widow in Mark 12. And I love the heart of the widow. Mark 12 says this, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. Many who were rich put in much. And then one, a poor widow, came and threw in two mites. You know, two cents. He called his disciples to himself. And he said, assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who gave into the treasury. For they put in out of their abundance, but she put in out of her poverty all that she had, her entire livelihood. I want us to clearly understand what he's teaching here. Jesus is not teaching that we're to put in everything that we have all the time. He's not saying that just walk in, don't give it any thought, no attention, just throw it in. That's not the heart that he's giving us here. Neither is he saying that the widow acted recklessly. What is he doing? He's comparing their hearts. He's trying to to draw a picture, a comparison and contrast between the hearts of these two people. The rich put in from their excess. It was a nice gift. Because of their resource in their means, and what they had, they were able to give a nice gift. And it was appreciated, and God received that and used it to do things. But he's looking at the hearts of those individuals that were giving. Jesus is looking at the hearts of what was going on. And he said, Mended her about her trust. Stewardship is about the heart. It's about the heart. It's always about the heart. The amount that she gave was minimal, less than the cost of a loaf of bread. And it would have done little or nothing to change the need in the community. Amen? That's just fact. But her heart... Her heart was something incredible. Her heart was special. Think about it. Even right now today, this little old widow with her two cents worth is continuing to inspire the body of Christ to trust God and to give with a good heart. Thousands of years later, 
That two cents that she put in, yeah, it didn't buy a loaf of bread, but it has brought the inspiration and the teaching and the trust to the body of Christ ever since Christ first observed what she did and commented on it. Amen? (laughs) I would say that was a very valuable two cents worth. We give because we love God, first and foremost. We give out of obedience because we know it's the right thing, because what God has called us to do. We also give because we see the practicality and the practical love that is borne out when we do give. See, James chapter 2 says this, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Now it's the hard part. Because that's, we all want them to be warmed and filled, right? I want the people around me to be well taken care of. I don't want to see anybody go hungry. I don't want to see anybody on the street. I don't want to see any of our children around us going without. But you do not give them the things which they need for the body. What does it profit? So what do those good thoughts accomplish if you don't put works with those things? Thus faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So he goes on, he says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. And part of our good works is giving faithfully, giving consistently, and with a good heart. Because that's what God has called us to do. That is some of the work of the kingdom. We hear it all the time. The church ought to be more involved. The church ought to do more to help the homeless. It ought to do more to help the the needy. It ought to do more in benevolence. It ought to, to do more outreach. The church ought to. So here's my question. Who's the church? Who's the church? And what resource is the church to use to do these good works? See... It's about the heart of stewardship. God's calling us to something bigger, to something greater, to something grander. He's calling our heart of stewardship. Remember Ephesians chapter 4? We're the church. And we talked about the principle of investment, where we talked about investing our time and investing our talents. And It's the same thing, the investment of our treasures. The same principle applies. We are the resources for others. We are the resources for the church, and we are the resources for God's kingdom. He entrusted into our hands, and then it goes through us back out to do the things that God is called to do. Christ is the head. We are the body. Amen? God wants us to understand the heart of stewardship. That's why we started with John 15. 
It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another on purpose. You love one another on purpose, just as I have loved you. No greater love has one than this, but to lay down his life for his friends. Stewardship is utilizing everything God has entrusted into us. For the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. Amen? Amen. We're almost done. Without apology, we teach the storehouse principle. Without apology, we talk about the fact that we are to tithe and to give to the place where we worship. We are to tithe and to give to the place that we are fed. And we are to tithe and to give to the place that we receive ministry from. We can certainly give offerings into all kinds of other work. And God encourages that. Amen. But we are to tithe and to give to the storehouse, to the place God uses to feed us and our family and our community in the place that we reside. Giving is about our heart. It's about our character. It's about our obedience. And it's about our compassion. Our treasures begin with God. As believers, our treasures belong to God. And our treasures are to be invested into others. See, the question is not, can I give or can I serve? The real question is, am I willing to give consistently and give with a good heart and to serve with a good heart? We need to steward our heart, our treasures, along with our time and our talents for the benefit of the kingdom of God in the church body, for the benefit of individuals and others, and for the benefit of ourselves. So as we kind of wrap up our time over these last several weeks together, we see that stewardship of our treasure is all about our heart. Do I love God? Do I love him enough that I will show him that love through consistent obedience and giving? 1 Corinthians 6 or 16, 2. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Malachi, and, and I could have chosen 50 other scriptures to put in here. Do I love God? Do I trust God? Do I trust him that he will really take care of me and my family? Matthew 6, 33. Hebrews 13, 8. Do I love others enough to invest in them and not covet everything for myself? John 15, 12. This is the heart of stewardship. This is what God is calling us to. He gave everything for us. He's asking us to engage and invest with him of all the things he's entrusted into our hands. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to worship. We thank you for your heart, Lord, because... 
What's been clear through all these different things is how you gave first. You trust us to love you enough to steward what you've entrusted into our hands. You trust us to use the life that you've given us, the talents, the skills, the abilities. You trust us, Heavenly Father, to invest those things back into your kingdom. You trust us, Lord, to take of those resources, the money, the worldly treasures, and to use them for your good. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but if God's speaking to your heart about coming back to the heart of worship, because that's really what stewardship is all about, amen? Do I love God? Do I trust God? Am I willing to invest the way that God said? That's worship. I would like the opportunity to pray for you today to just pray for strength and a blessing. If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about coming back to the heart of worship through stewardship of whatever that looks like, I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hands, that you would lift them up and just say, God, right now I'm coming back to that place where I trust you. I trust your word. I trust you with everything within me. Are there others that will join? It's hard. Because God's made it clear. I see those hands. God's made it clear. I'm calling you back to my heart to step away from the worldly ways of doing things, the worldly way of thinking, and engage with everything within you. Thank you, Father, for these hands that have gone up this morning. Thank you for the courage that it takes. Father, I ask that this morning that you would bless each one that is before you right now going, Heavenly Father, just examine me. Take a look inside. If there's anything in me, Lord, that's not in alignment with you, Lord, touch my emotions. Touch my heart. Touch my decision. Help me to come back to the heart of worship with you, Heavenly Father. And for each one that's here today, Lord, would you begin to speak to our hearts about the joy, the richness, the peace, the fulfillment of living life the way that you've called us to live it in stewardship of all that you've entrusted into our hands in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.